bulletin in front of you, you'll see that we don't have any announcements. We're glad you're here tonight. We've come to celebrate the reason for the season. And it's not all the presents that you're going to give. It's really the present that you've already received. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given. Ah, it is beautiful to realize that. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. And I've asked our brother Dave, if he would, David, if he would come on up uh, towards the front. We need to give him a microphone. Could you help him to get one? He's going to lead us in a prayer of invocation. Uh, we're going to try to finish by 6 o'clock tonight so Dave doesn't get to preach forever in his prayer. Uh, nor do I get to preach forever today. Uh, we're going to come into God's presence with singing. And just know that uh, we're going to have a dramatic presentation as well as a declaration of the Word of God. So David, if you would join us down here in the front. Uh, as the lights are going to be dimmed, uh, don't be afraid. It's part of the dramatic presentation. If you'd come to the middle here, brother. Did you get the microphone? You, you can stay down here if you'd like. Right down here is fine, but you need a microphone. I've got a flashlight. Hey, that's going to work tonight. Let our lights shine. Listen, would you lead us in prayer, brother? Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We look upon you and we acknowledge you, O Lord, as the everlasting Lord and the creator of the ends of the earth. You never grow tired, you are not weary, but you give life and strength to your creatures. We look upon you, O Lord, as a holy God against whom we have sinned. But you so loved the world the way you envisioned it being that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we beseech you that you should be found amongst us and that you would make an impression upon our souls that is worthy of you, the Lord. Hear us, we pray. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you that Jesus has come and died for us. Bless our time. We invoke your mercies and your grace in the Lord Jesus' name, amen. I think I could use your lights. I think I could use your lights. <laughs> the illustration is to, is to have a little dramatic presentation. Uh, if you could have the, all the lights that come down, even I think those can click. And the text that I want to take us to is to, uh, to the Old Testament, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8. And if those verses could come up. Part of the illustration is what we're experiencing now. Up ahead. Maybe that's a little too bright. I'll join you with the text on the wall. This is from the prophet Isaiah, more than, more than 500, maybe a little longer, years before Christ. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire on behalf of the living? If you understand there, fancy words. But Isaiah and the people are struggling. They don't have much hope. And so they're trying to look for some soothsayer, some necromancer, some, some fortune teller, some prophet. And the next verse says, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to, the, to this word, it is because they have no dawn. In other words, they're still struggling. And they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And then they are hungry and they will be, uh, they will be, uh, they will be enraged. 
And they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their leaders and even against their God and they'll turn their faces upward in arrogance and in anger and they will look to the earth but behold, only distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into a thick darkness. But, and I want to emphasize, here's some good news. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought her in, into contempt of the land of Zebulun and to the land of Naphtali. But in this latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And as Isaiah starts to give hope to the people, in chapter 9, you hear it. The people who once walked in darkness, they have seen. They have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. See, this part of the drama is helping you to realize that God's covenant people are always looking for the light. The people have walked in darkness, but now there is hope. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest time. And they are glad when, the, when they can divide the spoil. And if you see the, the idea that the, the, uh, the momentum is building for the yoke of his burden and of all, and as it goes on to say, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. And then he mentions and references the, the land of Median and the victory there. And then in the next verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior is a battle tumult and every garment rolled into blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, it's all going to be passed. It's going to be wiped away. And now you all know the next verse. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And as he goes on to say, this of this one that is going to be born, of the increase of his government and, his, and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Wow, what a kingdom that child is going to bring. One with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And this was a hope because they were walking in darkness. And if you look at that last phrase there, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The illustration before us, just like trying to read my Bible in the dark, I can't do it. I had to rely on some memory and I had to rely on a little help from the wall. When you think about it, it doesn't take a lot of light to brighten up, the, uh, to take away from the darkness. Uh, I want to be able to illustrate this for us today with the candles. We have, during the church service, uh, during the Advent season, one of my mentors, Bob Baxter, uh, taught me about the five narratives that you find of Christmas. Now, what is Christmas? Christmas is the term that, that uh, others have captured. You can't find the word Christmas in Scripture. But you can definitely find the terminology of Christ's appearing, of the coming of the Christ. And when you realize that, when, when I use the word Christmas, I'm using it synonymously with the idea that Jesus has come. And that's why today we light the red candle. The red candle... Is, a, is symbolic of Jesus. It is symbolic of the narrative of the Christ arriving on this earth. When the eternal one stepped into time, when the God who had said, let there be, now has said, I'm coming and I've arrived. The technical term might be that he was delivered, as Luke tells us in chapter 2. The Savior was born this day. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, when you realize that, the, the light of Christ's candle arriving. Now, we already knew, uh, because the scripture already told us, that it wasn't just that when he was birthed and breathed his, his first breath, that all of a sudden we had a live Christ. 
For we know that even when he was in the womb, that he was the Christ. How do we know this? Well, John the baptizer was leaping in the womb as well, in the presence of Jesus when Mary was just early in her pregnancy. And we know that from the scriptures in Matthew, Joseph was told, don't divorce this lady, don't put her away, because that which is found in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is beautiful to realize that Christ has come into this world. Now, the five narratives are all based on the fact that Jesus was going to come. That's why I want to say from... I think I'm going to borrow from this particular one. From the Christ candle, we realize that his light that came into the darkness has... has brought light to the gold candle. The gold candle, and many of you have heard this a little bit repetitively, but this is the transmission from God through the scriptures. The gold represents the 400 plus prophecies that the Old Testament, the scriptures had, had collected. God was telling people, yes, it's dark. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, there's a boot on your neck. Yes, there's a lot of trouble in this world. But he says, for unto us a child's coming. Earlier in chapter 7, same Isaiah, he said, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a child, and you shall call his name, you know the verse, Emmanuel, which means God is going to be with us. And from these 400 prophecies, the light from the Old Testament was constantly telling us, foreshadowing and even giving types and shadows of the Christ coming, of the red candle finally coming in time. From the Christ candle we also know that not only does scripture tell us these things, but people are a little bit hard to figure things out on their own. In fact, the Bible says that if we're left to ourselves, uh, we, will, we will not find the right path. Uh, if you go to, to the book of Judges, when the people do what's right in their own eyes, it's not good because it's not what's right in God's eyes. If you go to Solomon's writing in chapter 12 of Proverbs, he says there's a way that seems acceptable to people, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. As we're looking at the white candle, that's the, uh, the white candle, and that's the emphasis on the angels. You see, because over five times, and maybe six or seven, depending on how you count and how many angels, I can tell you that people needed more information. The shepherds out in the field, they were so close, they were within a couple of miles of seeing baby Jesus, and they didn't know anything until the angels came to tell them. Mary and Joseph, they both had to be told what, what God was doing because he had already chosen Mary to be able to be the one that would bring this child. Blessed was she, as the scripture says, and how she responded. But Joseph, who being a righteous man, would have put her away and tried to cover it all up to try to not put her into shame. But the angel of the Lord came, just like the angel of the Lord had come earlier to Zechariah as he was in the, as, in the high, high priest temple. The angels finally gathered there on the fields over Bethlehem, and together they said, glory to God. He's done it. He's come. The angels were pointing to the Messiah. Now, the, the Christ candle also focuses on the green. Now, the green candle that we light today tells us about some of the, the narratives that are quite interesting. These last two, the green and the purple, focus not on the transmission that God would communicate with us. They focus on the reception that we would actually respond. And so the shepherds are the ones uh, demonstrated by the green candle. Uh, the green candle talks about the green fields. I know if you go to Israel, it's hard to find any green fields there now. But the shepherds, uh, while by the sheep, we watched at night. Glad tidings brought the angels uh, bright. Because they were out there busy doing their normal routine until God told them. And the beautiful thing about the narratives about the shepherds is that they, they, they made a haste. They, they went quickly. They went, let us go see this thing which the Lord had made known unto us. And they went to, to Bethlehem and there they found Mary and Joseph. And the babe, they found the Christ just as it had been told to them. And they left going to tell the world, go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. Now, not only did God send the message 
from, from the word of God through the, and, and from the angels to people like the shepherds, but it also was received by folks who were a little bit more educated, folks that were in some of the upper echelons. And when you think of the wise men's story, we only learn about that from Matthew, but it is a beautiful, beautiful testament that there were these wise people that deal with kings and palaces and prime ministers and people who have big authority, and they were paying attention to the signs of the times. And behold, they saw a star in the east, and they said, there is something going on. And they made the journey. We don't know how fast it was. Most people believe that it took them over a year to journey from the east all the way to come. And the star was up in the sky high enough that they couldn't find the exact location. So wisely, these elite people, they went to talk to the elite people in the area. And they were looking for light. They were looking to be able to see the light of the, of the birth of the Son of God. But the kings in Jerusalem, King Herod, knew nothing about it. The elite people nearby paid no attention until they were alerted. And it's very interesting that the elite people in Jerusalem, when they were told that a king was born, they went back to the gold prophets and they looked and found in Micah 2 and said, oh, behold, in little Bethlehem, you will find that that's where the babe will be born. And so the Magi ended up getting counsel to go and see if this was a wild goose chase because obviously Herod was kind of like, this is crazy. A king born under my nose within five kilometers of my palace? Is it not happening? He says, if you find it, come back and tell me. I want to know. And then I'll come and worship, which of course is doublespeak. Today, the red candle has been lit to remind us that the full, in the fullness of time, God, sent forth his son. At this time, I'd like you to reflect upon that as we have uh, Daryl going to play for us. This is a moment to be able to reflect that God has made known these glad tidings of great joy to us.
Amen. As the musicians take their places and the lights come up, we're now going to have an opportunity to sing and to join with the uh, responses of the shepherds and the, and the wise men. Now that the lights are coming up, you'll actually see there are five different colored candles. And, uh, and uh, we're going to respond uh, as, as, we, as is appropriate uh, upon the reflection that a Savior has been given to us. Please stand to your feet. Joyful all ye nations rise. 
Yeah, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had to come together here tonight. As, as we um, anticipate, Lord, uh, the, the time here together, the refreshing of being in your presence, Lord, and Lord, just your word that is going to be taught. Lord, open up our hearts and our, our eyes toward you. Lord, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Lord, Lord may we um, just set aside the things of this earth. Lord, help us to focus on godly things. Lord, allow us, uh, Lord, just to be able to um, have that joy, Lord, that your word tells us about, Lord, that um, we celebrate this time of year, the hope, Lord, and, and, and God, just that we know that we belong to you and that you were born so that you might redeem us. We thank you for that, Lord. So God, just we pray your blessing upon the rest of the time here. Um, tonight, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. And now, Pastor is going to come. Amen. Thank you so much, Sean and Christian and, and Larry and the rest. Daryl, thank you so much for bringing that special piece of music. Uh, as we gather here tonight, I would love to give everybody a gift. I'd love to be able to, uh, you know, give a giant gift card, almost like what the government's been doing, to try to give everybody a thousand dollars here or ten thousand or whatever. It would be wonderful if we could give you and give you and give and give and give. But you will never be satisfied. You will never find that joy in this world. You might have a momentary bliss. But even as I was talking with someone recently who was in a professional sports career and they were telling me about folks that often will land a big contract. And uh, they make a lot of money. But they don't know what to do with it. It's almost like holding water in your hand. It just seems to disappear. But there is a gift that is eternal. And that's one of the reasons why on the, on the invitation that we sent out to everyone that we're focused on eternal life rather than focusing on just longer life or a safer life or a more equitable life or whatever other kind of uh, adjective you'd like to put in there. There's nothing that compares to what Jesus came to give. 
The Bible says in Romans that it is a gift. It is a gift. Eternal life. Now, if you had the word cloud up there, I wanted to be able to remind folks, uh, it is something that I carry around every Sunday morning. I usually have this little thing in front of me that reminds me that uh, you're sitting in a Bible-believing church, and that may actually seem to be fairly archaic these days. Because when you look around more and more, you find with postmodern thinking, you realize that, yes, our money still says in God we trust, but there's not that many people that seem to trust in God. I want to encourage you that when you come to a Bible-believing church that the Word of God will be opened. Uh, there are going to be texts that are going to be communicated because we want to know what God has said, not just what somebody thinks. Because when you listen to another voice, what you're going to end up hearing one thing today and another thing tomorrow and another thing the next day, you know how that goes. Just turn on the TV. You can find out that they can relabel things. They can tell you to, that one day you're supposed to wear one day this and the next day you're supposed to do this. But when you open up the Word of God, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the Word of God, you're going to find, since we're Bible-believing, we will find the gospel. The gospel, it means good news, and I want everyone here today clearly to hear the good news. Now, we're, we're during these five Advent services, uh, there's five narratives that we usually bring, but this year, the emphasis has been on there's two Advents. There's two appearings, or as the Greek text calls it, the parousia, okay, and that is the appearance of Jesus. And I wanted to start out by saying we're all like the candle. By the way, do you all have a candle? Uh, if you don't have a candle, there's going to be a couple ushers when I finish this message that will help distribute this to everyone. But we're all like this candle. Now, what's the difference between this candle and these candles? It's smaller. Okay, let's be obvious. Let's go more to the most obvious rather than size. This one doesn't have any fire on it. There's no light emanating from this thing at all. The only way you even see it is that there's another light shining on it. Whereas in the darkness of that, uh, of when I couldn't even read the scripture, we all could see the candles, even though we couldn't see the colors of the candles, we saw the light. This candle represents us. You'll be holding one in a moment. And we are like the people that are in darkness. I can blow on this all I want. I can do anything I want with this candle, and it's not going to give me any light until the light comes to the candle. And that's what our text tells, tells us in Isaiah. The people that have been walking in darkness, finally, they have this light. And the light shines in the darkness. And that theme that people had been living, especially during the time when John the Baptizer finally showed up, there had been 400 silent years. There had been four centuries where there were no new prophets. There was no new revelation. There were no new scriptures being written. And there was a lot of turmoil in the governments. They had gone from the Babylonians to the Medes and the Persians and then to the Greeks and then to the Romans. And let me tell you, if you were paying attention, if they had CNN or Fox News back then, it would have been riveting. To be able to see who's doing this and who's doing that and who's stabbed who in the back and what's going on. There's nothing new under the sun. The people were walking in darkness. But the God's people, the covenant community, had had 400 silent years and the only things that they had to cling on to was their Bibles. Now their Bibles only had the 39 Old Testament books. And if you remember, this thing called the printing press hadn't been invented yet. So how many people do you think had their own copy of the 39 books? Sure, they had their quiet time, right? They would open up their scroll and try to get their fragment. It's kind of interesting. There was a famine in the land. And finally, as you can see by the narratives of Christmas, is that God said, hey, it's going to happen. Now, during this season that you've been at New Covenant, or I'd love for you to make this your church home, when you're here, you're hearing the Word of God, and during these five services, we've been emphasizing, what did the people know about the Advent, the first appearing of Christ? And we went through and looked at Matthew. Matthew told us a little bit more about it. He told us about the wise men. He told us about how Joseph was an upright man, and how the angel had told him, don't put her away. We learn a lot about Matthew's view of this. When we looked at Mark, 
He didn't say a whole lot about it either. In fact, Mark just skipped right over the birth of Jesus. If you look at Luke, Luke tells us a lot of little details. And Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. You know, he would have been real popular in, in, during this COVID season. But Luke tells us some interesting insights. Luke being physically aware, he tells us about details about the ladies and about the children and about what it was like to travel. And so if you want to find out about Mary, Luke knew. Now, Luke wasn't there, but the Bible tells us that he went and gathered eyewitness accounts. And if he said that Mary was pondering all these things, it's probably because he talked to her. And validated that these things were the witness of the eye of the people who saw it with their own eyes, who felt it. Now, that was Luke. Last week we looked at John. On Sunday we gathered and we opened up the book of John. The book of John is pretty big. And then John also wrote the three epistles. And then John also wrote the, the gospel of, of Revelation. That's the, the, the news about Jesus, but in his exalted state rather than his hum humility. When John wrote the Gospel of John, he was talking about Jesus up to the cross. But then in Revelation, we find Jesus being <laughs> the risen Christ. And he's not somebody you want to mess with. Read the end of chapter 1. But he does say in chapter 4 that he had a vision of what Jesus' heaven was like. And it's pretty fascinating when you read the rest of John's writings. But John tell, told us that Jesus came into his own, but his own didn't receive him. But there were a few that received him. Then he says, when Jesus is coming again, Jesus is going to receive us to himself. You can read that in John chapter 14. You know at most funerals. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. But in Revelation, he says, he is not, he's going to reject all whose name, all who do not have their names in the Lamb's book of life. That was John. Today, I briefly want to highlight Paul. What does Paul tell us about the nativity? Give you a couple minutes. I'm not going to give you a couple minutes because I'll run out of time. I want you to know that Paul doesn't tell us an awful lot. Paul doesn't tell us about the wise men. He doesn't tell us about Mary. He doesn't, he doesn't even use her name. Paul doesn't tell us about Joseph. He doesn't talk about how the, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Mary. He doesn't tell us about the journey down to the little town of Bethlehem. He doesn't tell us any of these things. Did Paul just say, ha, who cares about Christmas? There's a lot of people today who are already in that mode. Hey, I didn't see it. It didn't happen. Hey, God didn't send some angel to me, so I don't know about it. No big deal. You see, that's a sad state of affairs. Because for anybody that has become a Christian, anybody that God has begun to reveal himself to you, anybody that knows the Christ is going to know the same message that the shepherds heard. There's a Savior that came into this world. He's here. And even the Apostle Paul alludes to it. If you have that fourth point, uh, you can pick one up on the way out if you don't have it already. There's a piece of paper by the opening, by the front door. And on the back, there's some text of scripture to look at. I want to read for you from uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Turkey, in Galatia there. And if you look at these two verses, this is God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. That's mostly what Paul tells us about Christmas. He tells us that there was a birth. And the way I know that for certain, because he was born of a woman, I mean, that gives you at least a clue that this wasn't just spiritual talk. It really happened. And everybody understood in Turkey, in that, in that Galatia area, in that region. And, and, and so he says, this person was this... Uh, uh, God sent forth his son. That is, the son of God was born into this world, just like Isaiah said, by way of a virgin. And then Paul says one more thing that's of interest. He was born under the law. It's kind of interesting. Luke tells us part of the law that he was born unto. Why did they make the journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem to have the birth there? It wasn't because they had better hospitals? The answer is no. The reason they went down there is that the authority of the Roman Empire was that they were requiring that if you were from the tribe of David, uh, you needed to go there and register to be taxed. 
You had to make sure that the census was going to be able to identify where you were. It's almost like they had to have a COVID card or something. These people had to make the journey. They didn't have any option on it. So Joseph ended up getting married. And even though she was great with child, can you imagine making a journey? Nine full months pregnant? And no Lexus to drive you there? Paul, when he reflects upon this, he says, when the alarm clock went off in the fullness of time, God did what he said in John 3.16. He was going to send his son and this was going to be coming just like us, a person born of a woman, but he was going to be living in this world just like us. It's pretty interesting when you realize it. Paul goes on to say quickly that Jesus came into this world for a reason. In verse 5 it tells us, to redeem those who were under the law. Do you see why the law was significant now? He says, all of you that are caught up in the law, and it's not just the Roman rule, it was the fact that you're under God's rule, and the wages of your sin is death. You're under that wrath and curse because you deserve that judgment because you violated righteousness. And so Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem the rest of us who are under the law so that we might receive this new status, that we might be called not the grandchildren of God, but the children of God, adopted into God's family. Now, there's only three mentions of Paul about this nativity. I already told you one, to the church at Galatia. Let me take you to another, to the church of Philippi, chapter 2 of Philippians chapter 2. Now, this is a, a favorite verse in our family. Uh, it ended up being the key text for both, my, both of my son's weddings. They went to this text because it really talks about having the mind of God. And he says in, in chapter 2, verse 5, Have this mind in you among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, I just have to explain that to you for a moment. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. That's what Paul was telling us. You might even say that that's, that was inspired by Paul's text here in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is God. He's in the form of God. But he didn't hang on to it so much that he said, oh, well, I just, I just can't let this go. i got to keep my privilege. No. And this is the beautiful thing about the humility of Jesus. He emptied himself. If you look at verse 7, he emptied himself. Now, by the way, who emptied him? It wasn't the president, it wasn't a prime minister, it wasn't the speaker of the house. No, no, it wasn't you and it wasn't me. Jesus said, I'm not clinging to this deity, I'm going to leave my deity. He doesn't lose his status because you can't separate him uh, because he's fully God and fully man. But he was going to leave his kingly crown to be able to come down here and learn obedience by the things that he would suffer just like we have. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was made just like us. And it's interesting, too, because when you think about it, if Jesus was made in the likeness of men, who were men made in the likeness of? Those of you that know your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, and he did it, and he said, very good. So it's very interesting that when God made Adam and Eve, when God made the first Adam, it was so that when he would take on flesh to become the second Adam, he was not going to have to take on some kind of weird, you know, or weird kind of, weird kind of shape. I mean, he didn't have a nose like an elephant or a neck uh, like the giraffe. He was going to be made like him, like a man, because man was fashioned after Jesus the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, when you look at this text, he was born in the likeness of men. So the Philippians ended up hearing from Paul and said, hey, Jesus was born. And, and, and then it says in verse 8, and if you follow along quickly, he being found in this, in, this, in this status, being found in a manger, you know, being found as a little babe like the wise men found, found him probably at two years of age, Jesus even humbled himself further by doing what he came to do. The only person ever born to die. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Now, if I want to take you to one more passage, if I could, and uh, that particular text is interesting, where Paul, um, Paul reminds us of one more, one more place uh, where he ends up uh, revealing 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. In 1 Timothy, this is where Paul is writing to young Timothy. He's discipling this young little guy. Uh, he had Christian parents, uh, but Paul ended up being his mentor. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This is a trustworthy saying, and it's deserving of full acceptance. He says, Everybody you run into, this is something that is true. This is not something you have to compromise. You don't have to do a dance around. You don't have to hide it. He says, This is this true statement. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Did you ever think about that as a Christmas text? Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's what Paul told Timothy. And he said, this is a trustworthy saying. Don't ever compromise it. Don't ever put an X in front of mass just to be able to eliminate Christ. This is so significant and so important. I wanted you to be able to see this without any kind of hesitation that this was the narrative declaring that the fact that Jesus came into this world. Now, um, secondly, and this is the last point, is Paul's narrative declares the future. He went on in three times to say the fact that Jesus came into this world. But Paul, when he talks about Jesus, spokes, focuses more on the future than the past. Because when Paul was explaining all these things about Jesus, Jesus had already lived. Jesus had already died. He had already been buried for three days. He already rose from the dead, and he also ascended into heaven. It's all been done. You can read 1 Corinthians 15. He said, these are of utmost importance, what Jesus did on the earth. He accomplished redemption. So Paul is kind of teaching us an, an application. Well, okay, sure. We know the fact that Jesus came. So what? No, Paul was telling all the people that he ended up seeing. He says, guys, the appearing of Jesus is so significant. He came to die, but he's coming again. And I want to read a couple of those texts because when you think about Paul, yes, he didn't focus on, on the angels and he didn't focus on the wise men or the shepherds, but he focused on some of the extra prophecies of the Old Testament. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, it says, and upon the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. When Jesus was hoisted up on the cross, we could barely lift our eyes to see him. He was despised and rejected. You see, some of these texts point beyond the first parousia to the second parousia, to the second appearing. Listen to these texts as I could read them for you. If we could turn to 1 Thessalonians, you're going to see in chapter 4, verses 13, to 14, uh, 13, 14, and 15. But he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. In other words, these are people that have become the children of God. They're brothers and sisters. They know about Christ's coming. They know about what he did on the cross to pay for their sins. We always keep the cross up here to be able to remind you. He died so that we might live. He says, brothers, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about people who have died. We just recently had one of our church members have a father that died this past week. This Christmas will be extra hard. We had another church attender, a church member that had to deal with uh, a sudden death of a grandson. We do not have to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have died, that you may not have to grieve as people in this world who don't have any hope. Remember, they're walking in darkness. They're the candles. They're the candles that don't have any light. And so he says, let me tell you some light. And he says, I do not want you to... Uh, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, that Jesus, uh, through Jesus, God will bring him those whom have fallen asleep. He says, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord. Did you see how that slipped in there? Second coming. If you happen to be alive when Jesus shows up again. Do you see how Paul is not just looking back to, oh, wasn't it great in the little town of Bethlehem? No. He's looking forward. And he wants all believers to not just dwell in the past at Christmas, but to look forward. That because he came, we know he's going to come again. He says, when Jesus comes again, verse 15... 
um, he will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, uh, the people who have died, they're not going to be stuck in their graves. And he goes on to explain it. He says, verse 16, for the Lord God himself, the Kurios, himself will descend from heaven. He's going to come back, and this time not as a little baby born of a woman under the law. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. Trying to wake you up. I don't want any of you to be dead in Christ. But those who have died trusting the Lord will be raised. And verse 17, then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with those who had died. We'll meet them in the clouds and we'll be with our Lord in the air. And so we shall ever be with our Lord. When you realize that this is the future, he is declaring it for us. And that is why the author of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, and I'm going to wrap things up pretty quick with this. I believe that Paul also wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of speculation, and you might have your favorite guess. This is my favorite guess. I think the Apostle Paul met the resurrected Christ, and when he wrote to his countrymen and he used all these Jewish terms, it is pretty fascinating how he explains it to them in chapter 9. He says, so Christ, this is verse 28 of chapter 9, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, do you see what happens next? He will appear, can you quote that with me? He will appear a... Second time, not to deal with sin. He's not going to go back to the cross. He doesn't need another tabernacle or another sanctuary. He doesn't need another cross. He's not going to come to deal with sin that way. But he's going to come to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is. We've come together on this Christmas Eve. And my hope was to bring to light what is in Scripture. I wanted to be able to show you the narratives of the nativity. But I also want you to see the wonder of his return. I want you to not, when you enter a new year, as the calendar that we, that we keep here in America and around the globe these days, I want you to not despair. No man knows the day or the hour. We can, Jesus himself told us that, we, that it's, it's, it's bad speculation to, to give a time. But he does say, John tells us in the book of Revelation at the end, he says, Lord, I know all about this stuff. You told me about a heaven, how wonderful it is. You're coming back. But John says, Lord, make it soon. Make it soon. Now, some of you might say, make it soon because I don't want to catch COVID. Or some of you would say, who cares? Some of you say, I don't want to take the shot. Some of you say, who cares? Some of you are going through a lot of different things, even with my own family. My mom's about to turn 90, and we've been planning, the eight kids, planning a wonderful celebration uh, on January 15th, and then mom got sick, pneumonia. I've been praying with several of you in the church because I'm going through what many of you are going through. Some of you even asked today, how's she doing? She's still in the hospital. Got to talk to her by phone. Uh, she's still in the ER, in critical care, because there's no room, it almost sounds like uh, in Bethlehem. There's no room in the hospital for her. But praise the Lord, she's chipper. And as I was having a coherent conversation, I asked her how we can pray, and she just keeps telling me, for a full recovery. She's looking forward to getting with her family together for her birthday. But mom is really looking forward to seeing Jesus. I want to encourage all of you to have that same kind of mindset. The illustration that is going to be before us, and if the ushers could come forward now to walk through and give everybody a candle, many of us have been like this candle, we have walked in darkness. As the candle ceremony is going to be in front of us in just a moment before the candles burn out, <laughs> I want to be able to have the room darkened, and I want to be able to, um, to, be able to help you illustrate the point. If you have a candle in your hand, and some of you do and some of you don't, I really appreciate some of those. Maybe, Bill, you could help to get a few to the other side of the room. Um, all of us are like that candle. And I want to encourage you on this Christmas Eve, we're going to have an opportunity to have your candle lit. The illustration there is that the light has come into your dark life. Can you remember the time 
when that actually happened. When did you meet Jesus? When did all this stuff begin to make sense? When did you hear the voice of the Spirit of God speaking out to you and say, Behold, you are a child of God, and God the Father loves you. When did you hear that Romans 10? How can you believe on him of whom you've not heard? When people join the church, that's the only real question we ask them. When and if you've met the Lord. That candle is before you right now, symbolic of the time that you were a sinner. As the candle's still being passed around, my encouragement is to think about it this way. We had a, um, my little granddaughter, couldn't be cuter, little Charlie. She's in Arkansas right now. Apparently, she's a good traveler, seeing her other grandparents. Can you believe that? Anyway, how beautiful it is. But little Charlie, when she came into the world, she was beautiful, but she was just like this candle. Some folks have been teaching poor theology when they say, oh, you come into this world as a blank slate. You don't have any sin and you don't have any problems. That's wrong. And there's others who have said that you come into the world and you just clean up this candle and you can knock off the bad stuff and you can say, oh, that sin nature's not there. But you see, unless you get the light from God, it doesn't matter how pretty you are, how young you are, how old you are, how smart you are, how anything about you that makes you unique. You need the light. We call it special revelation. The light has come into this world. As John said, he came unto his own. And then he says at the end of John chapter 1, that Jesus was the light of men. John the baptizer wasn't the light, but Jesus was the light. The one who created everything comes into this world. He's the light of men. And today, I want to encourage you. And before the lights dim on me, I wanted to read that one portion of Philippians chapter 2. Where Paul says, therefore, verse 9 of chapter 2. Therefore God exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him a name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just want you to think for a moment. Can you name somebody that's been on the TV that you've listened to? That person's going to name the name of Jesus. Their knee is going to bow. And even if they act like they don't know him now, they will. My challenge to us is not to focus on others, but is to make sure that you've met the Christ. And he says, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have not always obeyed, um, he says, as you have always obeyed, this is verse 12, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more when I've been absent, work on your salvation. Do it seriously. He says it with fear and trembling. And he says, as you're working on that salvation, as you're looking at your own heart, as you're looking at your life, as you're even looking at your calendar for the year ahead, he says, for it is God who is at work in you. You wouldn't be even thinking this unless God was opening your blind eyes with his amazing grace. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And then he says in verse 14, when you realize that God has brought light into your world, then listen to this. I'll go quick because it might prick your heart. Do all things without grumbling. Do all things without disputing. That you, the one who has the light, may be blameless and innocent in this world. That you will be, for the world to see, the children of God without blemish while you're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. If you could bring that verse up for me. First, or, yes, it's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians 2, 14. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And this is where the application is. Philippians 2, 14. Then it goes on to verse 15. And then we'll get into verse 16 in a moment. But he says in verse 15... There is a generation that we're dealing with. Maybe it's some that are in your household. Maybe it describes you. Maybe it describes our neighbors and maybe it describes our state. Maybe it describes our nation. Maybe it describes our world. 
We're supposed to be without blemish. And then he goes on at the end of verse 15, among whom you shine in this world. As the light dims off of me, I'd like to just demonstrate, if you could bring the spotlight down and the church all dim, just want to be able to challenge you. The light, we are to shine as lights in the world. Normally, we would always say, lift up Jesus and let him shine. But according to Paul, because Jesus came into the world and he did all of these things, we are to shine. I'm going to demonstrate that when Christ lights my life, I used to walk in darkness, but now I have the light.